Now for the next in our It's Your Hall series, uh, I'm talking to Professor Gregor McLennan, who is the warden of Goldney Hall. Um, welcome to the show. Can I just um, ask you, is there anything else that you do within the university? Because I know some uh, wardens are purely hall wardens, but I believe you have another role as well. Yes, hello everyone. Um, yes, I'm a professor of sociology in the Department of Sociology up in the university, and that's, if you like, a kind of main full-time job in addition to my awarding at Goldney Hall. Mm-hmm. And how do you find the uh, balancing of the two roles? Does it work well together? It does work well together, although obviously it's it's quite hard work having a sort of main job and a, and a side job that's really also a kind of full-time job, looking after 270 people and a whole staff team down at Goldney. But being a sociologist, I'm just fascinated by uh, human interaction, and I'm a pretty sociable guy, so I, I enjoy being with the energy given out by young people, as well as in my professional capacity as watching them. So, all in all, you think you're quite a good person to do the job, and I won't disagree with that. Now, before we um, come on to Goldney Hall as it is today, would you mind just taking us briefly through a little bit of the history of Goldney? First of all, uh, do you know how it came to be built in the first place? Yes, I do. It's a, it's a fascinating history, and it's quite a detailed one. I won't give you all the details, um, but quite often the students in the hall don't understand the history or don't even find out about it until quite late, and then they're completely bowled over by it. Essentially, Goldney House, which was the original building, um, was um, built by Quaker merchants, the Goldney family, three Thomas Goldneys, Goldney 1, 2, and 3, we call them, and uh, the first Thomas Goldney made a little bit of money as a, a merchant down in Bristol city centre, grocer, in fact, joined the Quakers and, in fact, was imprisoned for his uh, belief. The Quakers had just formed in the middle of the 18th century and were an interesting religious and social uh, group. Um, but they made a little bit of money, and so Goldney One came up the hill to Clifton, uh, Clifton Hill, which, of course, in those days was virtually uninhabited, just some fields and so on, uh, some farm farmland. And uh, he established uh, uh, the first kind of build of Goldney House uh, um, uh, on a plot up there. Then Goldney Two is quite interesting, son of Goldney One, because he develops not only the merchant side of um, of the family's wealth, but also the industrial side. He's really someone, he's kind of Bill Gates of his time. He's got one foot in shipping, I'll say a bit about that in a minute, but he's also got one foot in the Industrial Revolution, which is just happening round about that time, with uh, with ironworks beginning to develop up in Colebrookdale, and uh, round about Telford, which is you know regarded as the the hotbed of the Industrial Revolution. But at the same time, he has a share in these two ships called the Duke and Duchess that do a round-the-world voyage in uh, 1708 to 11 uh, under a guy called Captain Woods Rogers, who was about the third British person ever to sail round the world. And it was a privateering expedition. In other words, mugging Spanish ships, raiding towns on the South American coast, and in a sort of indirect way, getting involved in the slave trade. Uh, it's clear that Quakers were, as it were, slightly better about slavery than others, but anybody in Bristol who's got a share of merchant wealth and, and shipping has to have something to do with slavery, and probably at some point or other these ships would have um, 
would have uh, taken over other ships that would have been carrying slaves and so would have taken on board. So it's a fascinating history in relation to slavery, uh, abolition and so on. Another fascinating thing about that journey is that um, way out on the Juan Fernandez Islands off the south coast of America, uh, one of the ships, Duke or Duchess, don't know, can't, can't remember which, uh, picks up a, a lone stranded um, seaman on, on a desert island. And hey presto, it's Robinson Crusoe, or at least the original of Robinson Crusoe, Alexander Selkirk, and they bring him back to Bristol. So there's a lovely connection between, uh, as it were, an icon of English literature and English culture and Goldney Hall. So that's that's Goldney uh, Goldney 2. Well then Goldney 3, who's building on Goldney 2's quite considerable wealth by this time, finishes the main house as we as we pretty much know it today, um, but also starts building these things that the hall is really famous for now called the Garden Follies. There's an underground, shell-lined, water-strewn grotto that people have probably heard about, but not that many people have seen. There's the grotto, the 18th century uh, ornamental canal, the tower uh, that looks like a kind of Rapunzel medieval uh, fantasy, which of course it was, but out of that tower there was this uh, beam engine, a Newcomen beam engine that pulled up water from the hot wells below to, to circulate around all the garden features. So, And in its time, the, the whole system of follies um, was very well regarded as, as something of a kind of merchant's fantasy, and it was visited by members of the public and so on. So that's... Um, those are the three Goldneys who established uh, this fantastic, uh, quite unique cultural asset that the university now has. And then the history sort of declines a bit. We don't quite know what happened. But basically, it follows on into other famous Quaker families, like the Fries, for instance, chocolate Quakers, and then the Wills, tobacco Quakers. And then in 1953, 54, uh, the Wills, as of course they donated much property to the university over, over 50, 60 years, they gave Goldney House over to the university. Uh, the halls of residence as we know them today weren't built then um, because they, the flats as such were only constructed in 1969. So from the mid-50s to 1969, the main house itself was carved up into little dormitories for 30 or 40, mainly, in fact, probably only girl students, uh, until the hall, as we know it today, was built in 60s style in one of the fields in the grounds of Goldney. And then that's a, another new chapter. Now, moving on to uh, the... Goldney Hall as we see it today. How are the um how is the student accommodation within Goldney arranged because it's no longer within the main house is it? No, it's not. It's, uh, the, these flats were built as typical 60s, very ultra-modern and therefore very desirable kind of square flats, um, contrasting dramatically with the likes of Clifton Hill House and, and, and so on. Um, now, uh, as with a lot of 60s, there was a real buzz about that kind of architecture at the time, but it quickly uh, gave way or gradually gave way to a certain kind of horror uh, that 60s barbarism was sitting there alongside Georgian beauty in, in the main house. So in 1993-4, there was a major refurbishment and, and makeover 
and uh, the Sainsbury family, Lord Sainsbury Trust, um, Lindbury Trust, uh, facilitated and paid quite a lot for uh, a new award-winning design that gives it its nice, uh, comfortable, sort of slightly Rennie Macintoshy shape today that make the, that, that make the flats look very nice. Um, so uh, since then, it's been a very desirable place to live because you've got five or seven sort of separate blocks all organized in flats of six to eight students with pretty decent kitchens, big kitchens, nice views, nice grounds, uh, uh, reasonably uh, reasonably good shared uh, toilet and bathroom facilities and so on. So it's, it's a self-catering place and people who come to Goldney um, well, you, you probably know something of the mythology of this. They, they just never seem to want to leave. They seem very happy. Uh, it's a culture that, that thrives on a certain degree of student self-sufficiency, if you like. I don't interfere if I can help it with their lives as long as they, as it were, give to the hall as well as to each other. So there's a nice, uh, you know, when things are working well, there's a very nice uh, c uh, culture. So it is, uh, you know, to sort of risk a cliche, it is very much a community atmosphere there. Now, of course, you mentioned there that um, Goldney is a self-catered hall. How do you think that affects the dynamic of the hall and um, social interactions? Well, that's the, that's a very good question because, in one sense, especially with remember the blocks of flats are over the gardens from the main house. So, uh, how do we get the students, as it were, out of the flats and into uh, the hall more generally? Because we don't have formal dining, we don't have a dining hall. In fact, there isn't really a place for everyone to gather or to be addressed, even by the student union or, or whatever. Um, however, the bar is an absolute hub of activity, uh, not just for drinking, but for music and for uh, exchange of information. And so the main path tends to be tread between the flats and the bar. But we've also got common room and, uh, and piano room and library, etc. in the main house. And that gets more or less well used just depending on how much the students are so in love with their flats that they don't want to come out <laughs> so um but so in that sense we do rely on students um having this kind of close bonding amongst themselves they don't really need the staff to to as it were be good citizens there's a certain certain degree of uh, of self policing and uh, and and a, a kind of morality that that's generated by the students. If it was only generated by us, it, it simply wouldn't work. So there's a nice balance of, if you like, um, community from below and a kind of light hand steering touch from above, I like to think. I think I like to think it's more effective because it's relatively light touch. People are adults, they get on well, they know what's right and what's wrong, they know, uh, should know, you know, how to behave and how not to behave, and by and large we we get away with that. that. That works quite well. And then we come together in big set pieces. You know, we've got this fabulous orangery, so there might be a formal dinner in there, Easter formal, Christmas formal. There'll be bigger, bigger music nights. And, of course, there's the absolutely astonishing annual Goldney Ball, where anything up to 1,200 people gather in the grounds, and it, and it really is a spectacular occasion. So I like to think of the way the whole works as sort of periodic... Uh, rituals, if you like, that bring everybody together in, in, in a really feel-good way combined with daily routine 
collective interaction. Hmm. Now you mentioned there briefly the uh, golden bull. Um, having talked about the gardens earlier, I was going to come on to that now. Actually, um, the gardens obviously a huge asset as far as holding such a big event as golden bull is concerned. Um, how how good an event do you think golden bull is, and do you um, do you think that there's um, any way that uh, it can be improved further than it has been in uh, recent years? Well, it's hard to see how it could be improved because what, what you must remember is this is an absolutely mega operation. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds worth of turnover. I don't know, 60,000, 70,000 pounds turnover. And it's all done by the students. There isn't a member of staff on the ball committee. Each ball committee is recruited from students that year. They start working from day one uh, on a weekly basis right through to when the uh, to when the ball happens now Matt Grady my tremendous uh, deputy warden sits on the committee and he steers steers it in the right direction um, but the planning of it is uh, is very much a student led thing and the tradition of previous goldney balls comes into it. older students come back or ex students come back and just sort of turn up out of nowhere in order to lend a helping hand and again it symbolizes this this slightly crazy uh, goldney tradition where everybody just puts in everything from the hall so in terms of sheer effort and energy and atmosphere as well as just numbers of people how could it be better personally this is just an old fogey speaking i would like a you know a really decent band rather than uh, you know scratchy dj's and and what have you and sometimes the money just simply means you have to have a dj rather than uh, rather than a big name band so perhaps the music could sometimes be be a little bit better but in the end as long as you've got a kind of decent act there are see there are four or five different musical and other venues and in particular last year the jazz uh, the jazz area the jazz cafe area up towards the main terrace in the gardens was a phenomenal success with Pee Wee Ellis who was um, James Brown's horn man he he was up there at 70 odd year old you know eyeing up the girls and blasting his horn so that that was sensational so there's there's lots going on there's chill out sessions there's food there's a fairground and 1200 people are are wonderfully sort of uh, blended into the night with wonderful lighting and so on it is hard to see um, how it could be better and, and it really is a, a tremendous credit to the students that, that that comes off on anything like that kind of scale. Now of course Goldney um, to some degree uh, at least is different to many of the other halls I'm thinking in particular the Stoke Bishop ones in that it's not isolated from if you like the the normal residents of Bristol it's right in the middle of a quite densely populated suburb how do you think that the um, students interact with the um, resident population I, d I don't think it's that different in the sense that you know the the, the Stoke Bishop halls uh, also have interaction issues with neighbours and uh, you know, I think I think I think Goldney's special, obviously, but um, but I don't think there's quite as much difference, if you like, in the culture and community between the halls. Most students, when they go to their hall, even if they wanted to go somewhere else, ending up end up feeling really good about it and so on. So I think all the wardens face issues of what's now being called studentification, 
where where certain neighborhoods and areas are, are kind of uh, inundated with students. Now, Clifton can kind of absorb that quite well because Clifton's always been a kind of young, trendy, middle-class, young people's area. So by and large, when I'm in the village, I hardly see uh, any problems as such that you could immediately say, oh, well, that's to do with the students rather than just everyday sort of uh, leisure and consumption and, and, and hedonism, if you like. Um, so I don't think there's a problem there. I, I, I get annoyed with the students when they, when they are very, very loud, usually coming out of the bar, going to clubs downtown or coming back from clubs downtown because you can just hear the noise uh, and it's an absolute vast majority of it is good-humoured but it's just insensitive to the fact that we've got neighbours who are leading ordinary lives and who are actually tremendously sympathetic to the hall and supportive to the hall. If they decided not to be sympathetic and supportive, I can tell you, we, we, we could be closed down or collective asbos could be given out. So occasionally, you know, you see me rather madly sort of running across the lawn and shouting at people, shouting, you see, shut up, you know, etc. Um, so I think that that can be annoying and students do need to be, I think, just more sensitive to the fact that, you know, we're all adults, they're adults, we can all have good times without being stupid and too loud. And so from time to time I have to wag the finger, uh, as, as all wardens do, along those lines. Um, is it a real problem? I don't think so. Just occasionally it gets a little bit out of hand. And as I say, I'm always surprised by how, how good-spirited our, our neighbours are uh, on the whole. So uh, it's a fine balance, and sometimes it goes the wrong way, and we have to pull it back into line. Um, other times, I think it just about kind of works okay. Whether our students and the Clifton Hall students, or indeed any Hall students, create a slightly different kind of issue when they're down at the Park Street clubs or, or beyond, is another matter. I, I, I don't tend to venture down there sometimes for fear of seeing uh, some Goldeneyites, you know, uh, making uh, making hay somewhere in, in the middle of Park Street. But um, on the whole, I think it can just about be kept kept in check. But it's something we all have to watch out for. And it isn't just, as it were, a university image problem. It, it is about how we all behave well to each other and to the neighbourhoods uh, we're lucky enough to be part of. Another reason why the the community binds together very well in Goldney, uh, even though the flats are at some distance from the main house and therefore the full-time staff and all that, is that, like other halls, we have this fantastic bunch of people called tutors. And here, if you like, I want to put in a plug for how tremendous tutors are across the whole residences system in every hall. And certainly at Goldney we've got tutors, that's to say, you know, senior students, um, maybe postgrads, but, but often at Goldney just actually second or third years, um, who just want to give something back to the halls. And, and the JCRs are similar. I love the way people say, I want to carry on at Goldney or, or other halls just to give something back. 
And they really do give something back because, quite honestly, I, I wouldn't really know what's going on without the intelligence provided by tutors and the way in which tutors and JCRs and returners who come back to the hall, the way they take it upon themselves to, to go back to this earlier point, to kind of say to people, look, no one's forcing you to do this, but do you really think you should have chucked that food out the window or shouted at that? nice person over there so there's you know it's part of the kind of moral collective that tutors uh, and to some extent the JCR really help out with so I spend a lot of my time with those people making them feel wanted and appreciated and trained and in return they as it were are absolutely major buffer zone uh, 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 they do the nice transitional balance between being ordinary students because that's what they are but also having a special look out for for the needs and expectations of, of the whole generally so I would take this opportunity to take my hat off to to tutors to the JCR and returners who, who, who want to pass on to the next generation of Bristol students the lucky and rewarding experiences that, that they've had largely due to senior fellow students. Now just to um, bring this to a, a close, to sum up if you like, I know that uh, Goldney is always incredibly oversubscribed. Uh, I think certain years it's been the most oversubscribed hall in the university. There must be a reason for that. Why do you think Goldney is particularly special in view of applicants and also in the view of the residents as well? Well, I think there's a, there's a number of uh, a number of points to make here. One would be that uh, it's near the university, and increasingly it's near the uh, the town and the clubs. Uh, one application I got, the personal statement last year. Uh, why they thought this was going to be persuasive or not, I don't know. But where it sort of says, why do you want to be in this particular hall or whatever, it said, fun, fun, fun. That's what I love. Goldney's near the club, so I love Goldney. And frankly, that went straight into the bin. <laughs> uh, so, so there's just sheer nearness to the university. Uh, there's the attraction of Clifton Village, of course. And of course, you know, there's a lot of middle class parents who play a big role in helping their son or daughter decide where to go and they quickly pick up that Clifton's a nice area and it would be good for them to visit there and so on. So there's just there's just the sheer uh, accidental features. Well then on top of that you've got to throw in the fact that uh, probably increasingly over time students are tending to favour self-catered halls for whatever reason. I mean, some people still can't open a tin of beans when they get here but they seem to think that self-catering's for them. On the other hand, there are a lot of very skilled cooks amongst uh, amongst the student body. So, uh, so there's something to do with that. There's a kind of friends image, if you like. I call this the sort of friends illusion, where people might get the impression that they can just come into Goldney and suddenly it'll be like the TV series Friends, um, which to some extent is right. That is that is what happens. Um, although there's often downsides to it as well as as glamorous upsides to it. So I think it's a combination combination of all those things plus of course you know on the grapevine and uh, Facebook and all the rest of it you do get this uh, urban myth that that uh, Goldney is a particularly uh, nice place to be 
and the, uh, find out about the history and the grounds and so on. So I think if you put all those together, it's no accident that Goldney is the most popular. But again, I should say, if you look at the figures for the last two or three years, the way the application system now works is, um, I don't think Goldney is the most popular hall for applications anymore, and there's certainly three or four other halls well up there. Um, so it's, I don't think it's that uh, far ahead of, of anybody else. Okay. Well, Professor McLennan, thank you very much for talking to us about Goldney there. Thank you.